Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scanner. I'm hosting today's program via the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast, so if something happens, the earth moves for you, don't despair. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast on 3cr.org.au. And if you wonder what Anarchy is all about, very simple concept, Anarchos without rulers. So what's the main thrust of an anarchist society the main thrust of an anarchist society is to create a society without rulers what gives rulers power inequalities in power and wealth so what is the anarchist struggle the anarchist struggle is to create a society without any with with no inequalities as far as power and wealth is concerned how do you do that via dem Direct democratic means, the people involved in decision make that decisions, then elect or appoint delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, national and even international level and where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. It's an old-fashioned concept, nothing new about anarchism. So if you're involved in struggles to improve people's lives and the lives of the community you live in, well, then you may be an anarchist. Well, you are an anarchist without knowing it because you're about breaking down hierarchy. So it's very simple. You don't need a PhD in politics to understand what it's all about. It's a very simple concept. It's about taking the views of most most everybody into account and creating structures which allow those views to be implemented and it's about holding wealth in common. Okay, let's move on. Now, look, I like to start off with West Papua. Now, I know a lot of, a lot of people get tied up in this issue and that issue and this issue but I'm just uh, amazed at how little interest there is in uh, West Papua which is part of Indonesia, incorporated Indonesia I think it's in 1960 or 61 or 62 and see the West Papuan struggle hasn't gone away and their struggle for independence has stretched over 60 years and currently the Indonesian parliament, before it rose for the election, which will be held next weekend, declared war on the West Papuan resistance movement, which still exists in the forests and jungles and mountains of West Papua. 
And over the last few weeks, over 25,000 refugees have poured out of those uh, sites as the war effort, the effort to eradicate uh, the armed wing of the West Papua independence movement grows, gathers momentum. And you've got to remember that West Papua is the West Papua integration into uh, Indonesia was to a large degree acquiesced to by Australia in the 1960s, the Menzies government. And the United States of America has a huge investment in the Freeport mine, which is basically a mountain of gold, which has created billions of dollars of profits, which most of them have been uh, exported back overseas. See, the West Papuans today are basically strangers in their own land, a little bit like Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Uh, their numbers have decreased to about 50% of the population because the huge transmigration program that's brought other Indonesians into West Papua to uh, begin agriculture, uh, non-subsistence agricultural practices. But the key is this struggle is ongoing. It is 75 kilometres. West Papua is 75 kilometres from the Australian coastline. Over half a million people have died directly or indirectly as a result of Indonesian occupation in the last 60 years. The struggle does continue. And there are a number of West Papuan refugees and asylum seekers in this country who have not forgotten where they come from. They have continued to be involved in the independence struggle in this country. And five years ago, my wife, Ellen Jose, and myself, we were in, co- in discussions with the uh, refugees here, the West Papuan refugees in, us, in uh, Melbourne. We were able to set up a rent collective to pay the rent for an office in Docklands in Collins Street in Melbourne to act as a major organising centre for the West Papuan independence struggle, not just here in Australia but around the world because there are very few West Papuan independence offices around the world. There's three, two attached to universities and uh, this one here is a freestanding. And the West Papuan office exists as a direct result of Australians, people like you and me, giving money on a weekly or monthly basis or a yearly basis to pay the rent. Our job is not to tell the West Papuans how to conduct their independence struggle. Our job is to provide a mechanism via which they can conduct their independence struggle. So instead of spending 90% of their time trying to raise money to have a roof over their heads to conduct that struggle, they can spend 95% of their time conducting that struggle. And the inception of that office four and a half years ago has uh, accelerated the international demands for West Papua independence to a degree, to such a degree, that we are now looking at placing the question of decolonisation back on the United Nations Decolonisation Committee. And the West Papuans have been actively working to make this a reality. And that office has been crucial 
to bring in their plight to the world's attention. Now, it's easy to join the Rent Collective. We are looking for new members. We are always looking for new members. People die. People move on. People's financial situation changes and they, they leave the Rent Collective. Now, you can donate anonymously. You can put your name to your donation. But if you do want to join the West Papua Rent Collective, and uh, many of the Rent Collective members gathered at the office on last Sunday, because we have three gatherings a year at the uh, West Papua office, to uh, find out the uh, progress of the West Papua independent struggle. If you want to join the Rent Collective, and I encourage you to join, it's a dollar a day, $30 a month, $365 dollars for a year or 366 in a leap year it's the best investment you'll ever make it's not tax deductible it is not tax deductible so if you're looking for a tax deduction move on many of the rent collective members are on uh, limited incomes but they are willing to make that sacrifice to ensure the west Papua independence movements continues to exist and, more importantly, expand. So this is one of the initiatives which has been carried out by the Anarchist Media Institute over the years. It's one of our most important initiatives because what it has been able to do is create that physical space which allows people to organise in order to conduct that struggle. So if you wish to be a member of the West Papua Rent Collective or you want to know how to be a member, and I said it can be done anonymously, you can leave a contact number on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, or you can leave a message on Anarchist info at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. I'd like to speak about a, a petition, which is a virtual petition as well as a physical petition, which has been put in place in the last few days by the West Papuan Office, and I'll speak about that on the YouTube presentation. Uh, next week's YouTube presentation. And if you want to have a look at these YouTube presentations, just go public interest before corporate interest. Public interest before corporate interest. And I'll be speaking about that there and also the next radio program. I'll be uh, uh, speaking more about this petition. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. So I want to speak about democracy today. It's a much maligned, overused, ill-defined word. And with an election around the corner, which will be called in the next few days, I think we need to understand what democracy is. But it's not, as people think, the rule of the majority over the minority. If we had that... Well, the majority may want to execute every blue-eyed two-year-old in the, in, the, in the land. Democracy is rule of the people, by the people, for the people. Simple concept. Rule of the people, that's the people making decisions, 
for the people, by the people. It's not about rule of the people by the state, rule of the people by the corporate sector, rule of the people by vested interests. It's about rule of the people, by the people, for the people. Now, in this country, we have a very rudimentary form of democracy, which is called parliamentary democracy or representative democracy. Every three years at the federal level and four years at the state level in most states in this country, you are forced by legislation, as voting is compulsory, or actually voting isn't compulsory. What is compulsory is uh, turning up and have your name crossed off. Every three years or four years, you go through the charade, two minutes of illusory power, where you give somebody power to make decisions for you over the next three years. That's representative democracy. You abrogate your responsibilities as a citizen, your day-to-day responsibilities as citizens. You give them to a representative and you say, here's my signed blank check. I trust you. I believe what you've told me regarding your agenda for the next three years and I give you my power to make decisions for me. So basically, parliamentary democracy or representative democracy is about giving somebody a signed blank check to make decisions for you. If I was standing in the middle of uh, Collins Street and giving out signed blank checks, I'm sure it wouldn't take long before I was taken away and charged with fraud or uh, put away in a secure psychiatric uh, institution. But parliamentary democracy, similar concept. Now, the problem with parliamentary democracy in Australia is there is no mechanisms via which the individual elector can ensure that the representative they have elected will do all in their power to honour their promise. It's an act of faith. Parliamentary democracy or representative democracy is an act of faith. You have faith in that individual like you have your faith in your gods or your God. It's an act of faith. So how could you actually improve representative democracy? I'm not a supporter of representative democracy and I'll explain why in a few minutes, but how could you improve it? You can improve it by a number of mechanisms. You can improve it by having in legislation the power of recall, which means that in between elections, if uh, a representative is basically not honouring the promises or attempting to honour the promises they made, then the electors have the ability to recall that representative and call fresh elections till the next general election. So that's the power of recall. And certain representative democracies do have the power of recall. Then the other way via which the people can be directly involved in the decision-making process is the concept of citizens-initiated referendums, where the citizens make the decision for a referendum, and that decision is then binding on the government. 
and we have this type of uh, system in play, representative democratic system in Switzerland, and it seems to work quite well. Where if a number of, I think it's about 5-10% of the electorate, want a particular issue to go to the elector, there is a debate, there is a campaign, and that issue has to be put to the electors, and they say yay or nay on that particular issue. Now, obviously, there are mechanisms by which this can be manipulated, but by if you have legislation in place which restricts the amount of resources or ensures that the resources which are given to either side of the argument are equal, then you can uh, overcome the uh, problem of a small group of individuals dominating that debate. So you've got ways you can actually assist representative democracy and make it more democratic by having legislation which gives electors the power to recall non-performing politicians in between elections and fresh election to be held in that electorate and the power for citizens to actually make legislation by having citizens-initiated referendums. Now then, then there's another form of democracy which is called representative democracy, which is based, sorry, which is called direct democracy, which is based on the concept of delegation. And we saw direct democracy in action in Australia in 1854 during the Eureka Rebellion. Where the Ballarat Reform League, which is the organisation behind the Eureka Rebellion, held mass meetings. This is mass meetings without PAs, without, you know, electronic enhancement of a voice. And at these mass meetings, decisions were made and delegates were appointed by the mass meeting. We're talking about 15,000, 20,000 people at these mass meetings. And delegates were, were uh, elected to actually speak on behalf of that mass meeting. And those delegates needed to report back to the mass meeting to have any decisions ratified. So that's what direct democracy is about. You don't actually go into an, uh, a, you know, a ballot to elect somebody to make decisions for you what you do in a direct demo- democratic society is that you make the decision with the people around you and then you elect or appoint delegates with specific instructions or specific mandates to carry out those decisions and to coordinate those decisions at a local, regional, national and even international level. So it's democracy on steroids. Direct Democracy can only succeed if we have an active population. If the decision-making process is left at you know two or three percent, well, then what you create is a new bureaucracy, a new leadership, a new ruling class. So, in a direct democratic society. You have the power to be involved in decisions which directly or indirectly affect you. Now, obviously, in any democratic society, or it's a representative democracy, or a direct democratic society, what you have is a constitution or principles of association, which ensures that the majority cannot 
take away the fundamental rights of a minority. That's what your principles associations are for. Now, the dilemma over the next few weeks with this election campaign is, one, you'll be promised the world, and in many cases those potential representatives have no intention of honouring any of those promises. Two, you'll be subjected to campaigns which are basically based on lies. I'll give you an example. Now, the Australian Labor Party, the alternative Liberal Party to some people, has made a pledge that they would like 50% of all new cars to be electric that are purchased by, I think it's 2030. Now, the Liberal National Party, seeing an opportunity, has jumped up and down and said that this will ensure that the Labor Party will steal your weekend. It will steal your weekend. That's right. Because somehow, having an increased electric car component in the uh, number of cars that exist in Australia to help decrease greenhouse emissions, somehow, this will destroy the leisure activities of most Australians. So you'll be, con- you'll, be, you'll be part of this barrage over the next few weeks. There'll be this constant barrage of lies and counter-lies, promises and counter-promises. And at the end of the day, as it's a representative democracy, you can't really do much about it. Just hope that the person you selected actually gets elected. Then we see the problem in a representative democracy, as we've seen currently, with uh, people paying tens of thousands of dollars to get meetings with ministers. Could you imagine that? Tens of thousands of dollars to have an interview, have a little lunch with uh, Mr Dutton or Mr Pine or somebody else. People actually paying money to middlemen and women to organise lunches with ministers of the Crown in order to put their case directly to them and hopefully, using their uh, monetary influence, they'll be able to actually influence government policy. And that's the problem in a representative democracy because the focus of power moves from the people, democracy, rule of the people, by the people, for the people, it moves from the people to that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, the one percenters. So what we see in this country and what we see on a daily basis, irrespective of what the issue is, we see governments who are hostages to people who have access, who have accumulated wealth, and we see legislation come into play which improves their bottom line, which improves their profitability, which concentrates power in the hands of that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And that's what we see. We see that our political representatives have three masters. They have you the elector who elects them, 
who'll be electing our federal representatives at the uh, at the Senate level and the House of Representatives level uh, in the next uh, month or so. Then they have the political party, which determines pre-selection of that representative. And then on top of that, you've got the, that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication and all their mates in the investment class, the 8% of Australians who have enough disposable income to actually be part of that investment class and take advantage of all those investment options you can legally utilise in this country to minimise your taxes to nothing while growing your wealth. So we've got this, you know, three-way relationship. We've got the elected representative at the middle. We've got the people on one side. We've got the one percenters on one side, on the other side, and you've got the political parties on the other side. So who do you think the political representative is going to... Who's, who do you think is it their immediate masters? Well, their immediate masters are the political party. And that political party owes its allegiance to a significant degree to the people who pay, pull the, who donate to that political party. So the political party is ultimately responsible not to the electorate, not to the people who have elected them, but to that small sexual society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. This is the weakness of having a representative democracy where we have all these middle people who are getting their cut and you're left with the option of voting somebody else into power in three years' time. Again, based on faith. It's a little bit like self-regulation. You allow corporations to self-regulate and obviously they will do what is needed to protect their interests. And it's the same with political representatives. They basically are not accountable to the electorate in any meaningful way. And today we have the ridiculous situation in 2019 in Australia on the verge of a parliamentary election where our political representatives, the people we will choose, those, those people who vote will choose over the next, for the next three years, are more frightened of their political party they belong to and the one percenters than they are of the people who put them in power, the elector. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Dot org dot au. If you want to learn more about anarchism, go to anarchistmedia.org. Want to join public interest before corporate interest? Obviously, we will not be there at this election. We don't have the members to be a registered political party. Our numbers still hover around 400. If you want to join, no point complaining. Just have a look at the uh, Constitution. You like what you see. Download the application form. Join up virtually, or if you've got no access to the virtual world or no interest in the virtual world, you can always obtain an application form by ringing me on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. 
or writing to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. That's Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. We're quite happy to have members both on and off the electoral roll. We can only use members on the electoral roll. We need about 550 members on the electoral roll to be able to register public interest before corporate interest as a federal political party. Let's move on. Sudan. I think most of you wouldn't have much idea of where Sudan is. Or you may, just south of Egypt. Right near the, um, not far, on the Red Sea. A pivotal nation state in terms of having access to the Middle East. Pivotal. And over the last 30 years... Sudan has been ruled by a uh, military dictatorship which initially introduced Sharia laws and was a a Muslim fundamentalist state and continues to be a Muslim fundamentalist state. But the thing about Sudan is it's not this unified cultural entity. You've got the Dafal region, which was involved in an open revolt, for many, many years, where tens of thousands of people died, hundreds of thousands were displaced. That's in the west. And then in the east, you've got people who are not Arabic-speaking. In the centre, you've got the centre on Khartoum, which is a city of over 10 million people. You've an Arabic-speaking population. And in the south, we saw that 50-year war where uh, the Sudanese government was involved in some of the most uh, worst atrocities of the 20th and the 21st century. And uh, the dictator, al-Bashir, was initially indicted for crimes against humanity, but somehow seems to have slipped out of that indictment. Now, with the loss of South Sudan, which is oil-rich... And with the problem of the Sudanese military and the bureaucracy, mainly the military bureaucracy, using the Sudanese people as a cash cow, what we saw by the end of 2018 was a country on the brink of economic collapse. Now, this was a country which was providing three tertiary education for its young people, as well as primary and secondary education and three health care, and subsidised basic necessities like uh, oil, bread. So in December, the government, in its wisdom, decided to re- partially remove many of these subsidies because there was nothing left. Everything had been privatised over the, during the past 10 years as Sudan moved from the orbit of the Soviet Union into the orbit of the United States of America. So sporadic street protests started to occur in December. And these protests have continued unabated for the last three and a half months. And currently, the military headquarters in Khartoum 
have been surrounded by protesters who are demanding the end of the old regime and the beginning of a new type of democratic government. In the last 24 hours, over 20 people have been killed by security forces. Because you've got to remember, you've got the Sudanese army and then you've got all these militias which are directly responsible to the al-Bashir ruling elite. And although the military has continued to support al-Bashir, there are cracks now beginning to appear in the military. So the dreaded Janjaweed, which were the shock troops which were used in uh, South Sudan during their independence struggle, and now based in Khartoum. And they still owe their allegiances to the al-Bashir military dictatorship. And what we are seeing over the last few days is these paramilitary forces being used in Sudan to try to keep this 30-year dictatorship, which is based on Sharia law, in place. So, but, you know, but uh, emboldened by what's happened in Algeria, where a 30-year dictatorship dictator was forced to resign in the last few, in the last week, the people of Sudan are coming out in their droves into the streets trying to regain some power and some control over their society. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. The Coalition Corpse. Will the Coalition Corpse do what John Howard did? John Howard, at one stage, described his chances of being Prime Minister as the chance of... He had the same chance as Lazarus with a triple bypass. Now, those of you who aren't used to Christian analogies, Lazarus was the man who was risen from the dead by Jesus Christ. Now, people are talking about the coalition corpse... Now, Mr Morrison, the leader of one of the most inept and what looks like corrupt governments we've had in this country for decades, believes that he can shock the Frankenstein back into the coalition corpse. He believes he can make the coalition corpse into the ghost who walks. My apologies to Phantom Comic fans. And this campaign, which we will see unleashed on the Australian people, is a campaign which will be based on fear. With the failure of their budget, their goldfish budget, to get give them the dead cat bounce 
in the opinion polls they expected. The fear of that budget, the only cattle prod they have left to goad the electorate into a coalition victory is fear. The fear of the country being swamped, not by the yellow peril this time, but by refugees. And they have flogged that horse to an inch of its life using the hostages that have been at Nauru and Manus Island as their whipping boys and girls. They have flogged that issue to an inch of its life because they know, they create the idea that we are about to be invaded by refugees and asylum seekers that somehow the Australian people will breathe life back into the coalition corpse. Then you have fear of the unions. As I speak, there are tens of thousands of unionists marching through the streets of Melbourne demanding changes the industrial relations laws demanding wage increases, demanding the abolition of the Australian Building and Construction Commission, an organisation which is as draconian, as powerful as any secret organisation, secret government bureaucracy, demanding the return of overtime payments, demanding the ability of workers to take action industrial action without being bankrupted or imprisoned to improve their lot in life, demanding wage rises. So we will have the union card which will be waved in the air, that the trade unions are behind the Labor Party, that if the Labor Party is elected, this country will grind to a halt because of (coughs) industrial and workplace action. So that's that fear of the unions. So we've got fear of the asylum seeker, fear of the unions. Then we have fear of doing anything about climate change. Anything. Because what it'll mean is increased electricity prices. So we see this ridiculous situation where on the eve of an election being called, the federal minister gives the final federal tick to the Dani coal mine, a coal mine that hasn't even got the finances to get started. Not giving us any insight into how that decision was made, we're told that the CSIRO, which was initially against the Adani mine's uh, plans, now supports them. But we're not giving any insight into the processes which occurred. So we've got fear about doing something about climate change, which leads us to the ludicrous situation where the, the coalition corpse thinks it can be shocked back into existence if people believe that action on climate change will somehow 
deny them their weekends. You know who denies you your weekends today? It's not action on climate change and your ability to get in a car and go somewhere. It's all these laws that have been put into place which have deregulated the labour market, which means we have 24-7 business functioning, which means that people are no longer free to take time off during the weekends and spend it with their families and friends because of the changes to the system which has basically ensured that full-time jobs no longer exist in this country. It's all about short-term contracts. So we've got fear about taking action on climate change, fear about asylum seekers. We would have had fear about Muslims if it wasn't for the atrocities and slaughter which occurred in Christchurch a few weeks ago, although I have noticed... I have noticed that we seem to have forgotten and this type of uh, idea has come back into play. Then we have fear of people on social security system, fear of the 30% of Australians who live close to or below the poverty line because of an inadequate social security system, fear that somehow these are the people that are creating the, the conditions which are bankrolling, bankrupting society. So you've got this campaign which is structured to marginalise and criminalise people on social security benefits for the very act of being on a social security benefit for somehow thinking they're all bludgers, and that somehow they are sucking the country dry. Then you've got fear of Aboriginal land rights and sea rights and a fear of actually entering negotiations for a significant treaty. So fear is the electricity that Mr Morrison hopes will re-energise the Frankenstein coalition. And it is a Frankenstein coalition, irrespective of the Labor Party's shortcomings, and it has many, many shortcomings. In comparison to the Morrison-led Liberal Party and the National Party, it's a god. In comparison. So the coalition this so this will be about this is what the election campaign will be about. About re energizing the coalition corpse by using fear to get something which is in rigor mortis to sit up and grin and gain power. Listen to the Anarchist World this week broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. You have to laugh. Look, I need $10,000 because I want to have a meeting with Mr Dutton. Well, I actually need about $50,000. I've got to grease the hand of the man 
who can get me the interview. And then there may be a little bit more greasing as I go along. And it's normal business, we're told by Mr Morrison. Normal way the government conducts business. Senator Cormann forgets to pay for a few tickets. Some ex-liberal politician gets, uh, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to organise a meeting with Mr Dutton. And somehow things happen. Quite extraordinary. Health. So what will be the dominant issues in this campaign? Well, if the coalition, it will be about fear. The Labor Party thinks, thinks they may have a little bit of success pushing a minimist reform agenda like getting rid of negative gearing for uh, new investors in the marketplace. Not old investors. There'll be a grandfather clause which ensures they can continue to enjoy their negative gearing gains. Then there's the uh, franking tax credits. That was a very funny debate which kind of seems to have disappeared, wasn't it? When the federal government passed legislation over a year ago with the support of the crossbenchers on the Senate, you know, a right-wing rabbit group of uh, corpses which ensured that the 745,000 Australians who received Social Security benefits would no longer receive the same benefits or decreased benefits or no benefits by changing the goalposts as far as application of these changes was concerned, minimal response in the government guild at ABC and the corporate-owned media, minimal response. We have the Labor Party talking about removing franking credits and let's, let's not forget you need $2 million of shares in your superannuation fund to receive $8,000 in franking credits. And it may affect maybe 25,000 people to a significant degree and another 200,000 in a minor degree. All hell has broken loose. All hell has broken loose. Extraordinary. Just extraordinary. So get ready for it. Get ready for the onslaught over the next four weeks. Get ready for the disgusting ads Get and think to yourself where did the money come from who's bankrolling this campaign will my representative honour his or her word can I trust them what are the political parties doing what are the fear mongers on the fringes doing because the extraordinary thing is that time and time and time again, we never see any real action occurring in this country. Now, I'm sick of issue-orientated campaigns which somehow get the uh, oxygen needed to ensure that they, you know, creak along. How about the campaign by public housing everybody's business? Two and a half years of campaigning. Ten, year, ten days on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. Weekly rallies. The rally on the 10th, the 17th and the 24th will be on, the, on Wednesday at 1pm for the month of April. 
Where's the traction? Housing. Are you going to hear about housing affordability during the federal election? No. No. You're going to hear about public housing? No. It doesn't fit their current ideological agenda. It doesn't fit the deregulation, corporatisation, privatisation, globalisation agenda of the major political parties. I mean, things here, in some regards, are just as bad as Sudan. Everything's been privatised. The ports have been privatised. Could you imagine that? The ports have been privatised. The airports have been privatised. The National Bank, the Commonwealth Bank was privatised. Telecommunications has been privatised. Most of the armed forces outside the fighting divisions have been privatised. The NDIS is privatised. They're talking about privatising the hex debt. Centrelink is being privatised. Public health facilities are being privatised. For example, if you go to a major public hospital, cleaning staff will be employed by a private agency which has been contracted out. They're not employed by the state government. Kitchen staff, if a kitchen exists, same deal. Radiological services, pathological services. And we've now reached the stage where there's no more family silver to sell. Think about it. And they're asking you to give them a tick of approval at the next federal election. What I find extraordinary is we're told that this country's fortunes are based on mineral exports, whether it's coal, whether it's iron ore, whether it's gold, whether it's diamonds, whether it's rare earth, whether it's gases. The list goes on and on. Now, these resources theoretically belong to the Crown. Obviously, they were stolen from the uh, Indigenous population, but now they theoretically belong to the Crown because when you own a piece of land, you own about one foot. Anything under that piece of land belongs to the Crown. Now, we have allowed private corporations to dominate that marketplace and make billions of dollars of profit, which we could have made as a nation if these industries were actually owned and run by the state. But they're not. They're in the hands of private corporations. They continue to be in the hands of private corporations which dictate eventual uh, eventual, uh, parliamentary uh, legislation. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. If you want to get involved in the public housing struggle, uh, which has been um, pushed along by public interest before corporate interests, go to the Facebook page, Public Housing, Everybody's Business. If you want to be involved in the West Papua Rent Collective, give us a call on 0439 395 489. Send an email to anarchistage at yahoo.com or write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You want to be involved in public interest before corporate interests? You want to be a member? Want to see what it's all about? Go to the website, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Pipsy, P-I-D-P-C, 
pibci.net. You can actually go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. Toscano for the Public. And if you want to see what I look like, you can always go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, a uh, separate program every week, Public Interests Before Corporate Interests. Now, and the Anarchist World this week is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Another program I'm involved in is Radical Australia, an interview program. You want to be interviewed on Radical Australia? Give me a call, 0439 395 489. 4 a.m. to 5 p.m. Sorry, 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. every Wednesday. Radical Australia, streaming live on 3cr.org. And if you want to get involved in discussions, you can always ring us on Talk Back with Attitude, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. on 3CR, 94190155. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scano. I'm responsible for any electoral comment I have made today and we'll be making that announcement in the next five to six weeks. As I said before, if you're a Pipsy member, uh, hopefully in the next four to six weeks you'll get your uh, voting cards on uh, a final vote on eight policy initiatives and a lot of other bits and pieces in the mail. We still need about $300 in stamps to complete the mail out because it will include a self stamp self-addressed envelope. So send $1 stamps to Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 and don't forget that if you're a regular listener to this program that we will have a special radio fund program in June thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week via the Community Radio Network on your local community radio station courtesy of the Community Radio Network this program has been streaming live on 3CR dot org dot au the program is podcast so if something nasty happened while i was broadcasting like your bladder let you down well don't despair the program is podcast 3cr.org.au listen to the anarchist world this week next week and don't forget public housing everybody's business affordable housing is everybody's business it should be the issue of the federal election. Unfortunately, it won't be because we'll be looking at really esoteric things like the, the, the Labor Party stealing your weekend. That's right, stealing your weekend. The Christmas Grinches have arrived early. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in via the Community Radio Network Next week. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Wash my hands. Oh, Lord, yeah.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.